you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Okay. Oh, you look very executive-like. <laughs> got the executive thing along with the hoodie, so I'm going for the Senator Fetterman appeal, I think. <laughs> It's the look for the president if he gets woken in the middle of the night with a world apocalypse. Can you hear me? <laughs> By the way, you're very choppy. Oh. As if the net connection is bad or... Really? Some kind of lag, delay, whatever. Not sure. I don't have anything running, hardly. Okay. Maybe it was just the... Maybe. Offering I... glitches or whatever. Okay. A little too far away, maybe. New uh, microphone. So... Oh, looks nice. Looks looks big it looks very big it's because it's very close to the thing <laughs> it's the same mic just a, a new one so i'm still operating off of the little like combination mic and camera that colleen had for business and i inherited and remember at first we i used to have the whole actual speaker i'm sorry actual stage mic and stuff like right. that and it really seemed to have more problems than just this thing which does much better with ambient sound and stuff like that. You know what I mean? I right. guess if you're going to try to have a Zoom situation, you really need to tune out the office and the kids and the pets and whatever else it might be. Okay. And my thing is I've got three walls surrounding me with nothing there. So it bounces and echoes a lot. I sound right. like I'm in a chamber. But I, when I jump on Zencaster or I jump on Microsoft Teams, then things take the microphone and they don't always release them and some right. weird problems. That, that's why we moved away from Zencaster to just, if you will, regular Zoom because we kept having conflicts with it, it's nice that they all try to tune themselves to whatever your situation is, but then they should return it to previous settings when they get out. And they don't. Okay. And, and as Zencaster upgraded and changed things, and mm -hmm. a lot of it's good, some of it is like, eh, I'm not going to use these features. It's good because. They're set up now. You can produce and distribute your podcast right from Zencaster. We'll do everything for you, which is great. Okay. But I already have a network and everything set up to do it a different way. Right. And now, when you produce something, you have to pay for it. Before you could produce it where it would mix it down, adjust the levels, and put two files into one. Now okay. it costs money to do. And I'm like, I, I can do the same thing with Zoom. So, I'm probably going to be getting rid of Zencaster just because I don't need all of that. I already got things working and set up. Exactly. Everybody competes in their different ways and everybody tries to make it so that they, it's funny, some places compete, some places try to make it that it's just restrictions. While professing to capitalism, they keep trying to say, let's make it so painful to move off of our app that you'll never do it, even if somebody else is ahead in various different features and stuff like that. And boy, that, I hate that. I hate that the United States in general is all about that. You hear people talk about, you know, we're a capitalist society. We believe in free markets and free trade. 
And then what I see is everyone trying to do what they can to get <laughs> sweetheart deals, to get tying agreements and stuff. All the things that were made illegal 100 years ago because the vertical market integration was making it, there really were company towns and people pretty much indentured servants and stuff like that. And we pulled away from that. And then over the course of the last 100 years, big business has bit by bit <laughs> made it well, so they allowed for I don't know, by definition, having fewer competitors means less competition. And yet they keep on coming up with some trumped up statistics that say, don't worry, only having two players in the market who regularly talk to each other, that'll be good for the consumer. It's, right. uh, and whatever else, it, in how many big fields, in airlines, in, or I should say, just carriers, there's really been huge consolidation. And if anything, <laughs> some of the, what they often say is, prices will come down because there'll be efficiencies. And then that doesn't ever seem to happen. Just like well, the promises of casinos, et cetera, et cetera. They don't seem to happen, but nobody follows up. That's the danger of a free capitalist society is we encourage people to take control and make money. That, that's part, you know what it is. And then the danger becomes people want more money. There's nothing saying everybody should have a cap on how much you can make. It's whatever you I just go back to the days when everybody was slamming Microsoft and Microsoft is not nearly as big and powerful as they once were. So that did balance out. But what I always said was, Hey, you know what? Other companies are doing the same practices and they're arguably Apple does some of the same type of stuff. I'm to sorry, get you to, oh, I'm sorry. Am I breaking up again? You are. You're getting very choppy. Exactly. Oh, I, th I think okay. it's too far away. I'll sit closer. I'll eat my mic. So, okay, there but, we go. But everyone's getting mad and upset about Microsoft. And but there's examples of other companies that do the exact same practices. And Apple does some of that same stuff. They try and suck you in. And now, arguably, is the iPad a better product than like the Kindle Fire? Yeah, it is. So they're giving you something better. But man, Apple really, I can't get an Apple Watch because then I have to get an Apple phone. It, it, it's corporations all across the board and people want to defend their corporation. And the other problem is like what you just said is people do make a choice and they tend to go with the easiest and the sometimes cheapest. So Amazon can kill everybody. Walmart can kill everybody because they're the cheapest. I'll just go buy everything there. I am somehow saving money, even though of course, the, I don't know that we, I just saw a presentation this weekend about the model T and one of Henry Ford's tenants was my employees should be able to buy my products. When the automobile industry first started, there really wasn't a lot of price competition or model differentiation. It really was like luxury type things for luxury people. And he really, he really thought it should be a mass market instead of an individual market. So I, a lot of what you said is true that a lot of people do it, but that doesn't make it right. It's more oh, like, especially what I always look for is not Who's winning? And by definition, the biggest is somehow doing something wrong. I don't believe in that. But how they win, whether they're doing it on the basis of do they make a better product and have more features and give you more value for the money, or do they do it because they fight legal battles? Do they do it because they create those tying agreements? Make it make it's there's fair and unfair competition. Competition isn't one big capital C word. And Aline and I have this conversation all the time. So much stuff that seems to be going on now with the world getting a little bit worse. Some people sat around a table and said, we can make it that this coupon can never really be redeemed, but it'll look good because we're offering some kind of discount. And I just, 
people are making that decision and then they go to their coders and their coders say, yeah, I'm willing to implement this obviously rigged game because I want my company to make money. I want my salary to be good. I want, and I just, where's the decency? Where's the, yeah. the like real, I want there to be competition. I want there to be fair competition, not perpetually. How can we avoid the rules? How can we, I have forever, if you will, I'll never buy a Volkswagen because when I found out there was a whole section of Volkswagen that was dedicated to defeating pollution control, that they weren't going to make it better. They weren't going to stop polluting. They were going to make it so they had particular science about detecting when a car was being tested because you know, we've all been to the clean air place where you have to go to get your certification and exactly that scenario of running your, your wheels a certain way on rollers that they found we can capture that, simulate it, and make it that ours always pass, even if we really don't have a better catalytic converter. That's madness. That's madness that you, like people talk about, you shouldn't teach to the test. Isn't that exactly, or at least analogous to it, that you don't yeah. find out how to make it better in the real world, you find out what's going to be the one point at which you get tested, defeat that, fool that, and then do whatever the hell you want. That just seems so evil. See, I and that's you and I and others we know we hang out with tend to evaluate and think about stuff and make choices based on that. Whereas yeah. so many people are just, oh, the marketing, they said Volkswagen's the best thing out there. I want the best thing. I'm going to get it. You know what I'm saying? And I talk about this, my talk over the weekend. This is one of the points that I try and get parents to understand is when our career choices pretty much for kids right now are high school job or <laughs> high school college job um, and high school, meaning high school or sometimes a trade school, Maplewood mm -hmm. down here or high school military and then job or college. That's really a straight career path. And that's what we still teach our kids. Whereas what I'm trying to show and point out and teach them is if the kids take advantage of their technology and they know how to use it to make money and they know what things will make money, what their talents and skills are. Now they've opened doors, they have options and they can do anything they want. And they're never afraid of some company, some corporation controlling their life that they have to keep working. They can't quit they, or suddenly they lose their job. Now they're destitute. They have all these things going on. And it's really, really difficult for people, even 30, 35 and up, to understand that concept that a kid at 13, I've got an example. There's a 13 year old kid that maybe 14. Now she's written five books that wow. uh, she has out and she has a website and she has a PR company. I'm sure her parents are doing it all now, but at 18, does, is she going to be like, I have to go to school. I have to get it. No, she's like, no, I know I can do it myself. She can add talks. She can add t-shirts, whatever else. So those are the types of things I try and point out. So yeah. you have those options and you're not controlled by the companies. Exactly. I'll tell you, one of the things when universal healthcare is often talked about, it's a big thing that isn't talked about as part of that is portability of your healthcare. That right now, as long as your benefits are tied to whatever job you have, a lot of people take or keep a job just to have those benefits. And we, Colleen and I used to compare between our various different companies and like, why in the world is it as so similar that it's not noticeable? 
why in the world is it based on your company, my dental is better or worse, my medical is better, my vision, or that there are, there are some things that don't even exist. It shouldn't be that seeking employment is also choosing to be in the hands of people that they don't always seem to be trying to do the best for their employees. They have cost concerns, of course, but you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. We Doing that comparison, it wasn't off by 2%, 5%. It was off by 100%. They have it or they don't. And the fact that when you go to the open market, we still have it. Open enrollment just started for um, the, the, let's call it Obamacare. And Colleen and I are in that interesting position now of we have different ages, 65 and 63. We're getting ready to retire or not. How are we going to make sure that we're covered both medically based on um, who's got what benefits and who's got to go to the market and who can continue COBRA? And when you are retired and you go on to Medicare, is Medicare enough? Are you going to get an advantage program? the gap insurance, the Part D, whatever else it might be. And the fact that's something that two smarties like Colleen and I have to make a huge spreadsheet comparing between the choices, instead of it being, this is easy, what's the maximum out of pocket, minimize that, make sure you're covered in all these various different ways, because not everybody is equivalent. Some people need vision, some people might not. So I can't imagine as you get older that not (laughs) almost everyone needs it. So it's a very weird thing to have vision not automatically and hearing automatically be part of Medicare. Because is there any 65-year-old that isn't wearing glasses or could use better hearing? They just had a big breakthrough with over-the-counter hearing aids that are like a third of the cost of what used to have to be only by prescription. And apparently, it's not really a difference in quality. It's a matter of how fitted they are to your ears. But now they're making more and more malleable plastics so that you can kind of make that happen without having to go into a professional that fits it into your oral canal. And so they found a way to drive costs down. But how long has that been incoming? I asked that question. Good Lord. (laughs) I said, anybody can go to Dollar General or Walmart or whatever and get reader glasses. I didn't go to an eye doctor and pay $150 and then another $150 for glasses. I went and bought a $3 pair. I can see I'm good. We've been done that for a long time. But hearing aids have been FDA controlled. You've had to go to a doctor. You've had to go through a license, whoever. They just released that. So you'll soon be able to buy them open market at Walmart or whatever, just like reader glasses. And I'm like, but why? It's no different than really the eyes. If I put them in and I can hear, okay, I'm going to buy them. (laughs) Honestly, I don't know. Hopefully we're going to continue to see, if you will, not just breakthrough in medical technology, but the fact that the technology enables it to be in more people's hands, more choices, not less on the opposite side of that. So I'm pre-diabetic. I have this raft of things that I can try, drugs, the ones you see advertised on TV. Funny, they're fresh from the companies. They're not anywhere near generic, let's say metformin is. And so I'm finding out, hey, if my doctor prescribes me, what's my latest one? Moonjaro. And that's like an $1,800 prescription. Boy, I really have some choices as to what's the percentage gain that I'm going to have in my A1C compared to this pill costs eight bucks this costs 1800 I already had to go to Canada for my Jardians. It's weird that there has to be like trickery in order to get the best price for a good drug. And I, I understand that big pharma, the big companies have to recoup their investments for all the research that they do. I want them to continue to produce miracles. But it sure seems that it's not designed to be like, according to patent law, hey, 17 years and then it becomes on the market because the benefit to society should be weighed against the benefit to any particular company. Same as trademark law. 
And there's been so much work to subvert all of that, to make it so that the drug changes slightly. Now, this is version two. It starts the 17-year cycle again. Oh, and we don't even produce the first drug. I'm like, it's obvious that you're anti-competition, that you're trying to circumvent what not only our founding fathers, but 200 years of testing said, what's the right amount of time? What's the right amount of you've made enough money and now society gets the yeah, benefit? Yeah. And uh, I don't know, I, the fact that I'm having to deal with that all the time to just stay abreast of being healthy is now a matter of, boy, I hope I didn't blow this. I hope I didn't not cover every company and that the advertising overcame the efficacy of the drug and that my doctor doesn't keep up on it. So he prescribed me something that isn't the best for the money. And, because he got a kickback instead of really what I wonder best. about that yeah. because I know I've seen those things like in the office or they'll do it. It's like a lost leader. I want medical care to be the noblest thing, keeping people alive and keeping people healthy. And instead you find out well, that's, you let me have it for this price for the first three months, kind of like I bought something from an end cap at a grocery store, the loss leader. And then you hit me with the balloon payment for every time after that. And if the prescription will even say, hey, don't stop taking this abruptly. You got to wean yourself off of it or et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, that doesn't seem right that now I'm addicted and right. now you can jack the price up. That sounds like what the bad guys in the bad part of town and do. First I, one's always free. And then once <laughs> they got you, then they put the screws on you. And I <laughs> totally agree. And that's how it should be that if you spent 12 years researching this with scientists and labs and equipment and study groups and et cetera, et cetera, those study groups, my sister was a part of one in college and she's still every like nine or 10 years gets a survey and they call her and stuff to follow up. So there's right. a lot of time, effort, money. I understand that. But when you see everybody on the board of directors living in $7.8 million houses, okay, I don't think every bit of that went back to recoup the cost. You know what I'm saying? I just had this weird experience, and this is really, it's not accurate in terms of I've studied it intently, but because I'm now a little bit older, I, I am a member of AARP, American Association for Retired People, and the Gray Panthers, their vote is big. They really have influence over lots of different things. It's getting bigger. Um, the amount it's of getting bigger. America is an aging force. So I'm reading the last couple issues of the magazine that you get. And it's, we don't endorse CAD candidates, but we'll make sure that you know about these are the issues that you should care about. And yet there's no issue clearer about, are we taking care of our elderly? Are we taking care of our disabled or our veterans or any number of medical things the candidates' choices as to how much they support really are very clear versus who's getting the payoffs from big pharma and therefore has never done anything to allow for competition, price competition for Medicare for these various different drugs and put a cap on those things. The reds are bad in that regard and the blues are better. And yet, what kind of weirdness is going on within ERP that they won't, it's not even a bold step. It's just fact to say, on balance, these are the candidates that are going to support you in your elder care, and these are not. And so why not vote in the people that are not, they're not actively trying to kill you, but they sure aren't making it easy to stay alive and stay solvent in your later year. And so I worry about that, that there's so much money that can now be put into the various different, they don't need to talk to 350 million people, they need to talk to four editors at a publication, get them on their side, or at least get them to clam up and not say the obvious. 
Consumer Reports is one of the still one of the last few that will just say, here's the truth. Here's where, how this product works or not. And here's how, boy, the ads that you see from these various different companies, this company has lied 10 times in their last 10 ads. Why would you trust anything about their products if the way they right. sell their product is chicanery, is and, and bullshit? With the so you know what I just, it's getting a little bit worse in every way. Yeah. <laughs> what you just said with the politicians and the ads and all that, uh, it's easy to find out like right now what each politician stands for. What's harder and takes more work to find out is in their career, what promises have they made that they've kept and which ones have they not kept? What did they right. say they were going to do this and did they do it? That's much harder information to find out. And to me, I think if somebody's been in politics for 25 years, you should be able to find that information out if they have a record of that there's promising, a track record of, yeah. you know, that's pretty important. And it's much harder to find out, I think, or at least is a lot when you do, there's very competing information. You got to wonder wh exactly. which ones actually are. I know there's a couple of good projects like Vote Smart, and I'm trying to think of other fact checks on the statements of politicians and whether they prove to be true or not. But a number of them, I wish I could think of the one in particular that talks about who's got what contributions from where. And one of the things you'll see is that there really isn't a difference. Big oil splashes money on everyone so that no matter what, they'll have influence, if you will. And maybe big pharma does and maybe big IR, NRA does and stuff like that. But it's seeing the, the um, obvious correspondence between Hey, this guy got $3 million and then he gave away a tax benefit worth $300 million. And wow, that's a pretty good investment, a hundred to one. I look for those kinds of things to be five to one in taking on all the risk of my investments. And then I guess I could think of a better way to do it. All I got to do is go buy myself a politician. And it isn't in obvious. It really is. These guys got paid just before the vote, and the vote was pretty much not along, if you will party lines or science lines, it was along investment lines, bribery lines. And the fact that there still aren't rules against people making money themselves in Congress that they can like, hey, I think we should allocate spending for this particular product because it's the lubricant that I want all the military to use. And then you felt that, yeah, they all own stock in Lubrizol. I shouldn't name one in particular because I really don't want to defame them. I don't know that. Let's Lubra call it Plus. Lubco. Omnil Lube company. It's just amazing. There's lots of things like that. And uh, for a long time, I've subscribed to places that also talk about, here's the top 20 suppressed news stories of the year. And almost always, they're not like deeply scandalous. It's not, oh no, this person along the lines of Jeffrey Epstein, that kind of stuff tends to break out. The suppressed ones are where there's a ton of money being made in the background and enough money to make it so that story goes away. And so you find out again and again how much the Panama Papers, the what was the successor, the Pickwick Papers, where <laughs> there's so much money being hit offshore and then being applied to bribes and then also being applied to killing people because they were doing investigative journalism. How chilling is that you find out that there's so much money that you really can buy silence. You really can buy no press coverage of selling fashionable material to bad countries. Somebody is stealing technology and giving it to places that don't want to develop it on their own. They just want to have it. They just want right. to steal it. And again, the suppressed stories really seem to be, unfortunately, a case of that, where the amount of money involved is, is galactically huge. And we make fun. They backed a dump truck of money up to me. And that's why, oh, no, this star decided to 
write one more book, be in one more movie. Those guys are the tiniest little grain of sand on a beach. They're a rounding error compared to the way real money flows. And the Illuminati, who secretly run the whole thing as he jumped right. into the conspiracy world, it isn't even, you don't have to go conspiracy. You just have to go, well, that's just business. That's just the way it's done nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> you know unfortunately. I mean? Let me back up. Something you said earlier sparked a thought when we were mentioning choices and the computers and all that. In the tech world, computers are general PCs. I think it's actually a lot better than it used to be. Like I said, Microsoft, everyone's against them, but we do have a few more choices. We have the Windows, we have the Apple and Linux, and it's not taking over the world, but there's a lot more use of Linux for certain things and people and all that. And there's some of the same stuff. Literally, if I wanted to work on it, I could run everything I do through Linux. And we, we are much more cooperative. I've got, when I get a phone message, it pops up on Windows. I can save something to a shared Dropbox that you also have access to because it's a shared cloud service that right. we can both use. We can collaborate on Google right. Docs and both of us can log in and cloud. So you can open Word doc files. I can open QMovie or whatever the heck <laughs> Apple does now with video. So I think in that time, exactly. Yeah. yeah, in that regard, I think our tech world is improved. I'll tell you what, unfortunately, you talking about it being Windows versus Macintosh is kind of like 30 years ago. Right. What's really happening nowadays is Android and iOS, and it's it's the all of our devices and tablets and so forth have their own variations on that. And you mentioned Microsoft is nowhere near the force in the world that it was because it isn't Windows everywhere and Microsoft Office suite everywhere that there have been without directly competing, just the disruptive technology coming in of, I got this that can do so much of what my laptop and my desktop used to do. And it runs a whole different world than that. Yeah. And the world of developing apps is different than the world of develop- And getting to browsers is probably go to the mid-step, the first way in which Google Mozilla, various places, everybody that came out with a browser, Apple to design it to run on their operating system, but Mozilla and Firefox and Chrome and all those companies said, most people are not spending their time in the operating system anymore. They're spending their time on the net. And if we make this and it has extensions and add-ons and we have the security, they took on so much of the trappings of an operating system with a browser. That was the first breakaway from, it didn't matter whether you were on Windows or Mac or Linux. Or Google Chrome. Like exactly Google Chrome and that the competition there, let me think how to say this. They interoperated relatively well early. Instead of saying, make a choice and then you're here forever. They almost always had conversion utilities that said, hey, all those bookmarks, all those, all those things you've accumulated that has to be kept in a file that people can read. And they all made it so that if you want to switch to another browser or even have the browsers talk to each other in the background so that your bookmarks, your environment looks the same. If you move things around and have a standard set of things you open when you log on, it was really easy to do that instead of, oh, I switched browsers. I'm going to need a couple days to get to, I can bring my bank stuff up. I can bring my my, my development environment, et cetera, et cetera. So. Right. That those levels of abstraction on top of, you know, not, it's not just metal and an operating system, it's browser or the, I don't know, iOS is not the browser, but it sure is 
app oriented and you really don't care where the apps come from necessarily. You know what I mean? And that, I don't know, I, that's a bold statement. Of course, it matters that they are places that are of quality right. and that Google and Apple both do a lot of testing and vouching for whatever's on their stores. And when they find out that things are indeed spying on you, stealing information, et cetera, et cetera, they tend to ban those from the store. But it used to be wild and woolly and that you regularly, I don't know, when, when they first had what are some of the infamous culprits, any flashlight ad, I was just gonna say flashlight. <laughs> app, we're all like, wow, that's just be careful which one you're getting because you think all you're getting is a flashlight, but what it's doing is tracking your location and a whole yeah. bunch of other stuff. I think that as technology moves forward, what are we going to have when we have glasses? Is that going to be a whole operating system? Is that like right now, at least these things synchronize? I'm happy to have my watch talk to my phone, talk to, and in fact, I just updated my subscription to Mac Malware Bytes. And it's not just Mac Malware Bytes, it's Malware Bytes everywhere. And they're aware that they're for multiple platforms and they sell a subscription that is one or three or 10, you know what I mean? Multiple devices that you can put it on. And almost all of mine are like that now. We have an app that is a, an app that it, it's a security app that allows, if ever our thing is stolen, it actually, you can talk to it without the thief knowing it and find out where he is and actually have it take pictures of the guy while he's looking at it and that kind of stuff. And I have that on all our devices. Um, sometimes I might remember this saga from a year ago. Sometimes it doesn't matter. I watched the phone that I had left in the lift car when I went out to California. I watched it go to somebody's apartment and I texted them it appearing on their screen saying, I'll give you a reward. I, I'm not, I don't want to take you to the police. I want my phone back. And I somehow I couldn't get them to do that. And so I, I was baffled by it. I was baffled by I'm not going to prosecute you. There's no cops out here with me. I'm in the parking lot outside your apartment building. Look out your window. You'll see me. I just want my phone back. And I ended up not being able to do that. But the fact that I was able to like go to that address, it, I guess I should have called the cops and said, it's right here. It's, I don't know right. what apartment it's in, but if you start ringing doorbells, <laughs> oh, and I digressed a whole bunch there, but I like the fact that there are, there are operating system specific enough stuff that you can do that kind of app, which is hidden in the background. The casual user, the casual thief doesn't know that I've got some way of tracking them. And I guess that's worth to geek it up, to step back into geekery. It's everybody that's talking about privacy concerns. As soon as you own a phone, what in the world are you talking about? Oh, it knows geez. where you are and what you're doing and everything all the time. And you setting your browser to be like in privacy mode. You are living a dream, my friend. Yeah, yeah I, I love mean? that. Like, I love, <laughs> and I love people saying, oh, don't track me. I don't want to see the pop-up ads and stuff. And, and yet, ads aren't necessarily bad. And if I have the choice to get just random crap ads or ads targeted to things I'm interested in, I'll take the ones I'm interested in because that's what I want to see. And it is scary though, when I'm out on my desktop or I'm out with my phone and like walk into a certain store and then I get on YouTube and I see an ad for that store. I'm like, I didn't do anything. All I did was walk in the store. Exactly. I didn't interact at all. And yet they smelled it on me. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is disconcerting. I'm getting kind of used to it now. I have everything that I can of that type turned off. I don't volunteer that information. I don't let when, when 
they make those choices available. I really try to stay that little bit anonymous because I find it intrusive in some cases and a little disconcerting. But at the base technology, the phone doesn't turn off sending you where it is while you're on it. it they've shown that often now in police shows that their ability to like, I don't know, they don't have it yet where they can force you to give your password to get into their phone. Remember, there was a big court case about right. that. What is circumventing that? Now that you can do it with a fingertip, now that you can do it with your face, that's not private information. That's public. That's So we're starting to see now that when someone says, hey, you can't crack my phone. I'm a big drug dealer. All they have to do is hold the phone up to someone's face and they're in. Like, right. wow, you didn't plan ahead there, my friend. Oh, well. <laughs> and with that whole privacy thing, what I've many times, people post all the time on Facebook, hey, I took this quiz and look what Marvel character I am. And hey, find out who the 10 people your best friends are and stuff. And I'm like, are you folks serious? You're all bitching and complaining about privacy. And then you answer these stupid little things for the hackers telling them where you live, where your high school is, who your best friends are, your dog's name. You (laughs) give them the information. And true, maybe that one, but they have, they bought 4.5 million email addresses on the dark web. Yours is one of them. They're matching it to the Facebook posts. They're sending you 10 different of these stupid little things and they compile it. And now they have enough information that they're going to run their bots and hack into all your stuff in 4.5 seconds. I'll tell you, I don't know how people don't get that because it like the way in which any kind of recognition like that works, it isn't, here's the one litmus test, the one fact that's going to lead right to you. But the fact that if you have 10 different facts and you look at the combinations of all those various different things, and that's the equivalent of a fingerprint and just that. I like this kind of music and I drive this kind of car and I live here. Oh, that must be Al. Or the odds are really good at Al. They've narrowed it down from 350 million people to the 3,000 that it might be. And then it's a solved problem for them to right. spam those people or to surveil those people or whatever else it might be. And so I don't know how people don't get that because you think after watching 20 years of CSI and NCIS and all the other crime busting shows that they would have seen that those kinds of numbers and statistics and little factoids add up to a pretty good indelible match to you, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway. Yeah. So that's it. Here's, I wanted to talk about this. Hope you don't mind this yeah, you know, an abrupt change. Whoop. So we were at Halloween, which is Chicago area Mensa's big old Halloween. Yeah. And so it's, it's the Smarties group, wonderful costume parade, tons of good programs, great hospitality, great games room, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think we've talked about this on the show before. There's a fellow named Oriel Maxime who does a logic puzzle tournament that is just the most mensen thing that I can, again, I can share. It's people have seen logic puzzles. It's one of those things where, okay, there's five people living on a street and they have different cars and they're married to different wives and they smoke different brands of cigarettes and who owns the zebra? So that kind of thing. And he does those. It's of course, not only that kind of thing, it's Sudoku but also variations on, it's not just your little diagram three by three, is it three by three? That it'll be, hey, they add up to a different number or it's a bigger diagram and they interrelate on the corners and stuff like that. Or it's, here's a big block and you're going to put in things that are shaped like a shoe so that they all fit. And these particular spots are the pegs on which you're going to hang the shoes or the spotlight that's going to shine on the heel or whatever. He's fantastic at creating these original puzzles and testing them so that they really are 
the right level of easy, medium, hard difficulty, that there are usually individual or very few solutions so that it's a very, you can make it a competition. And all these brains in the room sit down and they're all cocky because they do these puzzles all the time. They do logic puzzles and all kinds of stuff. And Oriel humbles us all every year. It's six problems in an hour and a half or something like that. Maybe even more, maybe it's two and a half hours. But my experience of doing this for 10 years is I'm really pretty good at these. I think I've talked before, I have a facility with puzzles. Whatever, however my brain does both the forebrain and the back brain working on things, it's like my fingers are just doing it for me and my mind is working on it. I usually knock out the first two really quickly, often so quickly that somebody else at my table will go, fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then the next two, I get with a lot of work or I, get, I work on it until I get the insight and then it all cascades and flows out. And then there's usually one or two that are just so difficult, so impenetrable that to do it in that amount of time is really tough. And yet there have been people that have been completed that got all six in that period of time. Or, and I'm not the only one that does them really quick. You know what I mean? Like you get more points depending on how quickly you do it. You get extra points, like the number of minutes in the total minus the amount of time it took. So you get extra. If you solve them quickly, you get an advantage. Man, I was humbled more than ever. For whatever reason, my mind just wasn't working on the Here's a kind of a, a minefield type thing. This, these are the numbers of what might be ghosts all around you. And they have to figure out what the numbers are in the first place and then figure out where there must be ghosts based on that diagram and where the numbers are. I explain it poorly, but, and I just, any number of them that I usually would sit down and go, bup, 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 and just draw it out. I would get like, bup, bup, huh, that doesn't work. And I can't see how to get past why it doesn't work. Usually you just like erase one or two things and then you immediately get the next cascade. And it was as each, each uh, Oriel has been doing it for 20 years now. And he's gotten to where instead of it being a standard method that works, you have to say, it's not a standard method. What's the kink in this so that I have to change my way of thinking, my heuristic that approaches this so that I can get past the blockage and get to the next level. In, in chess terms, it's often called like how many plies deep you have to reason to be able to see that your choices narrow from a huge solution set more and more down to this is the one you really want to do. This is one you have to do. And every single one of them seemed to have something like that for me today that just my going on automatic wasn't available to me. And so I, I got three out of six. I was humbled because I, I got, I just, it really was as tough as it's ever been. And friend michael collins and his son were like number one and number three or number two and number three so that's dna that's you know, that, that the son is following in the footsteps of the father they must do puzzles together and stuff but even other people that i know are really good at these like jim jim pazarina was right across the table from me at one point we like did this looking up at each other and go what have we gotten ourselves into this is kicking my ass so hats off to oriel and him doing those kinds because he does it he creates these things for free. One day he will do like the book, the PDF of all of these things collected and the world will be able to say, wow, these have been of high quality for so long. He's just a brilliant puzzling mind. I love doing puzzles and yet I've never gotten to that next step of composing puzzles. I've made, I've made a couple, but nowhere near where it's that level of elegance and rigor and it's just, it's just so cool to know someone that is capable of yeah. that incredible it, it, Mensa braininess. It's just it, the coolest and, thing. 
it's <laughs> creating them isn't just the intelligence. There's some skill like playing music. You can be intelligent and play music poorly. Right. Same with puzzles. And the ability to sit and solve them and work on that logic, that, that's the programmer brain. That's the same stuff we do programming all the time. Yeah. And figuring- each year I say to myself, what I got to do is like the last two, three months before this, I got to go into training. I got to pull out all my various different Kokoro and all the different, yeah, <laughs> there's different puzzles that give you, they wire your brain so that you can see one, two, three plies deep very quickly instead of having to struggle with each thing. And that's what I want to do is just get it. So if I don't know for sure, my first guess, my second guess are going to be good compared to just having to brute force every single one of them. You know what I mean? And having said that, I'm reading a cool book called The Puzzler by A.J. Jacobs. Maybe we've talked about him before. He's the guy that has done kind of like George Plimpton type books where the year of living biblically, he's going to follow the rules in the Bible and see just how much that fits the modern world. His first one was called The Know-It-All, where he was going to read the Encyclopedia Britannica. And then he'll know where he'll be the know-it-all. He'll be able to answer any question that these curators have said, this is the important set of knowledge if you're going to be a learned person in the world. And well, once he's done about like getting in shape, here's the various different things that he tried. And he's really amusing and insightful and humble and really good. And so the puzzler, this book is, it's about, there's a reason that people are fascinated with puzzles. Because it really does, it's not a waste of time. It's taking the distilled versions of real world situations and saying, if I had to make a choice amongst multiple different alternatives, how would I get to that? And like we talked about with the Chooseinator, there's a way of doing that in a systematic way instead of just throwing darts and hoping. And the satisfaction that your brain gets from going, all this chaos, and yet I brought it to order. I found the key to how this all makes sense, you know what I mean? A jumble of jigsaw puzzle pieces. And if you do it the right way, makes a beautiful, the picture is in there. You just have to work on it. So I recommend this book highly. I'm I'm doing it a disservice by not going into it any more deep than it really talks not only about the puzzles and the kinds of puzzles, but why they um, matter in the world, why they attract different kinds of people. Not everybody that's a jigsaw person is also a word person is a numbers person, is a balls and wires and strings person. And I tend to be fascinated with a lot of those. But I think, like, personally, it's very cool to have combinatorics expressed so beautifully in a puzzle. This thing has, there's six pieces, and there's, in some cases, there's 10,000 ways to put it together into a cube. Wow, I can play with it, and I can get to one of those 10,000. In this case, there's one or three ways to do it. And like, how do they get to that? How do they get so that it's exactly the configuration of cubes so that it really doesn't go together willy-nilly any which way? You really have to get the one solution out of the 10 million ways to do it. That's its own kind of, wow, I conquered it. 10 million ways to go wrong, and I found the one. One, I should not be too. (laughs) There's something very cool about that, about... And it's not only doing it, just getting it done. It's that while you're doing it, you're thinking of, so how can I make it so that where I place this first piece is the least amount of, it it cuts off other possibilities in the solution space, but it also, like, I don't know, it's a variation on put the big rocks in first. 
you don't want to save the really tangled snarly thing to the end because the odds of that fitting in by luck are really bad the more that you place your difficult pieces first and save the more easy generic pieces to the last the more you'll have the opportunity to just slot that little l shape in instead of this kind of like wow this is six cubes and it's all jutting weirdly it's it trains you how to like even if to do that in life if you will if you're taking on a big task multi-steps eat the frog do the hardest part first and then after that it gets easier and better and you already have a lot of accomplishment whereas anybody who like does the low-hanging fruit approach they so often find i thought i was 30 percent done because i got three out of ten things done but the seven that i left were the ones that are just so much harder so I fooled myself. I fooled the person that I was saying, almost done, 30% done. You know what I mean? Right. It, it's a way of being able to like deal with the world in a way that is more realistic about complexity and difficulty and the rigor of don't shy away from hard work. If you do the hard work, then when you get to the end, you've earned it instead of it just being lost. Anyway. In, in, in the book, The Puzzler, Getting in Shape and that, does it have the puzzler diet? I start with a bag <laughs> of Fritos. Add Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Some of those things do seem opposed, don't they? You know what yeah. I mean? In this book, he's all about, I walk everywhere I go. And in this one, I fell into this puzzle for six hours. Bathing, optional. So that right. Kind of <laughs> right. So it's, it's funny you mentioned that because over the weekend, I was talking to somebody, non-Menson, but at the Wien with somebody else. And they were talking about games and they mentioned, oh, Mastermind, I like to play that. And I'm like, oh that one's kind of broke. Right. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, it's impossible not to win. And they're right. like There's a method for solving it that guarantees. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I explained it and they went, well, how does that work? And they weren't quite grasping it. Cause I'm like, just give it a try sometime. Here's what you do. I right. said, my, my son figured that out when he was like in fifth, sixth grade played mastermind with all his friends as birthday. And they're all like, there's a game, there's a game called NIMS. It's like that you can force a win if you move first you can force a win and what well, that's not a game anymore let's hey pigeon step up you know, three card monty right here thing it's and there's a couple others that are like that that was best play there's no way that people can really win at tic-tac-toe if it's best play there's only cats game and that I, when they program that you like have to make a mistake from the first the only way you lose is by making a mistake you can't win by playing best if you're right taught game design in theory it's actually a merit badge in boy scouts and i taught it to the scouts and there was one kid who had never played tic-tac-toe had no idea and he lost every single game he played and everybody's what don't you get he's i'm trying and he just wasn't grasping that (laughs) whole concept and that's also one of the reasons i really like games like dominion where if you take dominion the base first set and you follow their Here's a good setup for your first game. It's easy. Mm-hmm. If I go and play that one, and me and Colin play that one, that setup, we're just like zoom, playing so fast, you can't keep up because and it's like the, you have the pattern down, you can get it. But you add some other sets and you change up a few of the cards, totally different strategies. So every game of Dominion breaks your pattern to where you have to think again and get exactly. your own strategy every time. I love that. Yeah. And, and so, hey, Plug everybody. While we were at Halloween, we actually did a live podcast of Relentless Geekery. And as a theme for the gathering was reunited and it feels so good. So that's the theme that we tried to focus on. And that's one of the things that I really loved was talking about replayability of games. That in in my mind, Cosmic Encounters was the first one that I saw that it wasn't just the game in the box and it's done, but that they said, what we gave you 
at the start was a good set, but if you throw these four more alien races, <laughs> it explodes that the combinatorics of right. how they might have to interact and depending on who plays the various different things. And it's funny, I often say you can learn like an hour of gameplay. You can learn a person's personality more than you can by talking to them for six hours. You know what I mean? You can see who are the people that are the risk takers or the greedy or the vengeful or the, the cautious and those kinds of things. And cosmic encounters at any number of places were like, not only do they add alien races, but you can see which of those things people like to play because that's so much how they like to be in real life. Or that it's the opposite of how I like to be life because they're trying on a different personality. One of the joys of role-playing games was I've, I'm, I'm a big Viking type guy. I'm strong and big and kind of send that guy in to take all the damage while our magic users in the back really win the battle. But once in a while, it's nice to play like the thief that I'm all about the agility and the quickness instead of just being this Titan, this force of nature. It's very cool to try that out and say, so what's that like for people to be the first one in, not the last man standing, the one that's going to not break down a door, but pick the lock and all those kinds of things. There's all kinds of interesting stuff to be gained from role-playing games and from other games that allow you to try on different things. Um, Absolutely. And that's one of the great things about magic is the same type of thing. You can build a deck that fits you and your personality and play style. I very rarely in magic play blue. That's more the trickster. Yeah, I know there's a lot of cancels and lots of good stuff there, but a lot of mine almost becomes more brute force type of play, but I always try and keep it to a theme or something interesting. And I play with my cousin a lot. I play with a lot of people. And a lot of times people are like, aren't you supposed to be in Mensa? And you like, haven't won a game in six months that we've played. And that was not the best (laughs) card or move. I'm like, No, but the card fits my theme and I like playing it with this other card. It's just fun. I don't care. I play games for the social aspect, for eating the Fritos and drinking the Dr. Pepper. Exactly. (laughs) So if I win or not, eh, I'm having fun. That's it. That's a, I've had that discussion as well. I often play because I want to play. I want to talk with people while I play. I want to just go off and try things. And sometimes I've been portrayed as really competitive, but it's because I get it quickly even a game that I've not played before, I often get what are the victory conditions and how to move towards those and how to stop others from moving towards those. And so if I win a little more, maybe a lot more than average, then it's noticeable to others. And then they take that as being hyper-competitive that I yes. need to win, but it's, it isn't that at all. And in fact, when I play one of the joys of going to Mensa is, boy, you're not the best gamer by leaps and bounds. There's all kinds of great gamers there and all kinds of people that have played this game more and get even deeper into the strategy and stuff like that. So if I would, I just, I don't, I'm not a hyper-competitive person, even if I win often, because it's more the joy of the game, the elegance of yeah. the solution, than it is, I, Colleen and I talk about this, I love shooting pool, and the hardest games, the least fun games that I have are not where someone's trying to pocket a lot of balls, but where they're perpetually playing safeties, making it hard for me, and it's, anybody can the cue ball don't you want to put together a run of 30 balls or something like that i there's different ways of winning and i kind of like the winning instead of forcing the other guy to lose it's right. a different way of looking at the world kind yeah of, you know yeah. what i mean so anyway and that whole competitive <laughs> thing i've played different games with people and i've had them say especially me and colin they'll say 
I'm not going to play with you guys, or I'm not playing that game with you guys because you're too competitive. You're too, you get too mean. I'm like, what do you mean mean? We're just playing the same cards and all that. It's because we make better moves and choices and win the game more often. And it's like in Dominion, when you see that you're getting close to having the three piles gone or the Providence, all of those gone. Okay. I need to stop buying cards and I need to start focusing on the combos and getting rid of cards or whatever. That's exactly. just the overall strategy. That's just strategy. Exactly. Yeah. That's that. And you're not stopping them from noticing that too. Exactly. You know and, I mean? <laughs> so. and, you know, if I have 20 cards in my deck and these certain combos, I'm more likely to get them than if I have 75 cards in my deck with those combos. Yes. And yet people will, oh, I've got three buys. I'll take three of the copper. You don't want to buy any more copper. Well, yeah, I've got three more buys. I want, okay. And then they get hands. <laughs> it's like, well, I can't buy anything. That's because you bought a lot of copper. Do you exactly. see the strategy yeah, you there? That, but you can't trade that in. That's not the way the game works. You can't reuse that, et cetera, et right. cetera. So, There's a great game called Acquire, an old 3M game. That's like a hotel oh. chain building game. And it's it really epitomizes kind of like the boa constrictor way of playing, that you don't try to win with a master stroke. You win by getting in on every deal a little bit and the cumulative amount that you get from being aware of positional play and keeping track of there's there's seven different companies. There's 25 shares in each company and each turn you can buy three of any kind and that the value of the shares goes up by the number of interconnected tiles on this board. And so you just keep track of, I don't need to win where I got the 13, a guaranteed majority. I just need to keep track of He's got five and he's got five, but I've got six. And so I own the company, if you will. I'm the majority stakeholder. And I guess it plays to, I've got a good memory and I pay attention and I don't find it overwhelming to keep track of seven people's holdings. Do you know what I mean? It's, I'm not always perfect, but I'm close enough in trying to do it that I really am hardly ever fooled. I don't lose track, but I'm sometimes just overwhelmed because like you said, there's only a certain amount left and the next three people in front of me bought them all up and I couldn't execute on getting, no, I'm behind and I can't catch up or any number of things. So when we play that game, people will talk about, I can see them doing, if you will, the bad strategies. They're guaranteed they're going to get Imperial. They're going to buy 13 shares to make sure they have it. But in order to get to that, they lost out on the other four deals that were going on around them. And then you get money back and then you can catch up and et cetera. And a perfect game for seeing who gets the overall winning strategy instead of the single thing you can concentrate on, if you will. It's one of the reasons that I, an odd thing in the United States, as soon as they started to televise poker matches, people started to think that the whole point of it was, I'm all in. That's not how you win. You continually look at what are your cards? What's the, what else is on the table? What position are you at the table? What's in the pot? What are the pot odds, if you will? And you are willing to make the right bets, but you're not always steering towards, I want to put all of my thing, my, my money on one pony. No, you get a little bit on every way that you can, and you drop out often, 70% of the time, or whatever the real number is, probably 90%, because you wait until the odds are in your favor instead right. of just hanging into every hand and watching your money fritter away and stuff like that. That's just <laughs> the investing that we've talked about that you've done. You don't just take everything put on one company. You put on a portfolio of companies and you make 
can put more here and less over here, and you may adjust it over time. Uh, That's right. But it's they changes, always, but it sure isn't one big bet. That's right. exactly right. You know, and they always say, might come true. Yeah. go in for the long. Don't put it in and take it back out tomorrow. Now you've lost money. It's put it in, yeah. let it ride. And same type of thinking. Had a good discussion this weekend because I just had so Annie Duke, a famous for player and the daughter of Richard Lederer, who's a mention that I've become friends with. She has a book out now called Quit or Quitting. And it's about like, when to choose to do that? maybe the world, the United States in particular, has all kinds of mythology about he hung in there, he persevered, he, he didn't take no for an answer, and that there's actually power in when I'm in a situation and it isn't as it was when I started, the deal's gone bad, you have to know how to pull out. You don't keep, you don't stay in the Thelma and Louise car off the cliff. You get out and go to another car. You take a different job. You take a different relationship that all many things in the world should be like, dating that if you really treated like the first person that i date i'm going to marry you'd be super super cautious as to who you date in the first place because you think you're making only one bet and then you got to stick to it and then instead it's wow i kind of want to check this many companies and this many people and this many situations and that you should always be willing to say is this situation serving me and am i well suited to it and that changes over the course of time i'm not who i was when i was 20 or 40 now that i'm 60 and so that ability to quit elegantly, the ability to know when it's enough and time to move on or, and not be forced to quit, it's a really powerful thing that kind of isn't in the American, I don't right. know, but I guess it is. The frontier spirit was, hey, I'm living here in the East and this situation sucks. I'm heading West when I can be whoever I want to be. So it is in there, but we've maybe lost sight a little bit of it or something yeah, like when, that. When we're making the backroom <laughs> deals like we talked about earlier. Exactly. Yeah. That. Instead of entrepreneurship, now it's canoodling. Yeah. And I think Kenny Rogers <laughs> kind of summed it up best in The Gambler. Well, <laughs> hold no one to fold him. Yeah. Thank you. That's a wow. Compress all of what I just said into a good song. There we go. There you go. We, <laughs> we got in the music. We came back to corporations and the Americans, <laughs> all of that. Perfect. Probably a good time to go. sign off. <laughs> <laughs> all right. As always, thanks, Steve. It's kind of funny. Let's see. What's my recommendation? I've been, oh, yeah. um, uh, uh, The World of the Iron Druid that I really liked by Kevin Hearn. There's two new books out called Ink and Sigil and Paper and Blood about another character, but it's in that same world and his Shared world, magic system, pantheons, folklore, it's all just what I like. He's really a great author, Hearn. And so that's my recommendation for this week is get these two new books of his. They're really satisfying in all those ways of the entanglements of mortals trying to deal with immortals (laughs) and stuff like that. They taste crunchy and are good with ketchup. Uh, So we always have the book sale at Weem, and I always look forward to that. And it's crazy because... Vicky was looking at me like, how many more books are you going to buy? What do you need more books for? And I'm like, right. but they're only this much. And then it's a bag sale on Sunday. Right. And so the other fun thing is a lot of times other Mensons will bring in books, but it's like a series. And it's like, oh, there's a whole series. That's really hard to pass up. So I had this book already, but I got all the first eight in one bag. And I'm like, oh, I can't pass that up. And just FYI, you'll pick your best copy out of those so that you have upgraded some of the warm yes. copies or yeah. whatever. Okay. Yeah. The money goes to charity. It's kids right. helping charity. I know sometimes it's like the helping with scholarships and things. And right. but I Literacy got project. so I got Terry Goodkind 
sword was novel. First rule, exactly. The first okay. eight of them, and I'm like, oh my god, these are Stephen King thickness. So, oh, I got enough until I'm Al's age to read right here. <laughs> it's very funny. I know we're going long. Wonderful that you mentioned that because I have so many books that I don't often go to book sales anymore. Out of just, I need to not. I'm, <laughs> sit, I'm sitting at a table with Stacy Kirsch. Thank you very much, Stacy. And she mentioned that Abby Salmi had contributed a whole bunch of books to this book sale. Abby Salmi is a longtime Menson. She died a while back. She regularly put out puzzle books for Mensons. So she was a compiler instead of a com puzzle composer. But her library was all kinds of puzzle books, all kinds of reference books that she used. All and so it's and there. And she said pretty much, I don't think they've really been picked through. They're all still over there. So honestly, I walked over and there's like, wow. And I filled a bag. I filled a bag without even trying hard. In some cases, because I, even if I had a paperback copy, here's the hardcover. Here's like the first edition of it. Right. I don't know if there's a call for first edition of puzzle books, but like when you have a puzzle book that people haven't written in to solve it, that's a cool thing. Right. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? So I got a whole bunch of wonderful stuff. And Abby Salmi's spirit is in the book. I don't really nice. believe that. I know that there's providence to these of someone who I really respected and really was puzzle savvy she used these to be puzzle savvy so now i'm very happy with that treasure in the same way that you found the, yeah. the good kind books i found these wonder this wonderful set of puzzle books very yeah, cool it's Dudney from lloyd from gardner all kinds of just my heroes in puzzles and she had them so, nice so. it's definitely a sheer force of will not to walk by a book sale <laughs> i guess my, my tendency at a book sale is to like Put a bag at the end and tip the table into the. <laughs> but I justified it because somebody brought in a whole lot of books for writing. And right. a lot of them, I'm like, okay, they're outdated and it's not going to help. But I'm like, the author who compiled these articles or wrote the articles, I'd like to read it. Or it was a lot of things on misunderstood words or origins of words. And that's why I'm like, what? I'm getting these for a couple bucks. I'm going to do a few videos to put up on my author YouTube channel of here's a word that we use. Here's where it came from. Here's that yeah, and do yeah. some educational type videos for kids and whatever. So I'm like, I'm justifying it. There you go. Like you said, for a good cause. I think I maybe bought like a dozen books and they were like, you know, dollar each or three for 250. But then when I figured it out, I owed them like 10 bucks, but all I had was ATM coupons. 20s from the ATM. And so I put a 20 in there and said, well, I'll come back later. And maybe Colleen will come back and fix them. And no, instead it was like, hey kids, here's some extra money. What's yeah. a good one? You know, so. Absolutely. And really that one Dragonlance book I just bought, it was 30 bucks. I spent on several bags of books over the weekend, like $27. So yeah. I'm not isn't that worried. amazing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Honestly, it, with the world turning digital, there really is an opportunity for people that are still into atoms to go and find things that might not have come onto the market because as we get older, our peers get older. I've been a couple of times to the place called the record den here in, yeah. in that like several times I've been in there and it's like, wow, someone with my taste in music just died and they got all their CDs. So I've walked out of there a couple of times with boxes, 30 wow. <laughs> CDs at, because some of them I've like, wow, I've never seen this before, or this is only import and I can get it for seven bucks instead of 20. And just, I don't mean, to, I don't go in there intending to spend that much, but it's, if I don't buy it now, almost certainly it'll be gone. Even if I came back in a week, a month or even a week. And so I just, I have occasionally weirdly overbought and I have to like, honey, I, uh, I, I bought some of the CDs. <laughs> and, 
we called Colleen out on our live thing that it's like, here, you like me? Look, I've got three storage lockers full of stuff and I love so many things. I have all that, but it's not hoarding things. It's, it's I actually look, read, use, listen, all that stuff. And, and she like, actually has stayed with me despite exactly. my tendency to accumulate. Exactly. So <laughs> right. and then we have so much to talk about. And there are, she doesn't like all that I like, but there's enough things that she's liked that is, wow, I like this. And you have all of them. So I'd right. like to borrow those, please. You know what I mean? Well, it's not yeah. borrowing. You have them now, hon. It's, they're yours too. And yet it's cool. If I had married someone like me, I'd be just, my tail would never stop wagging. It's like, Oh my God, he has everything good, everything. Right. <laughs> and what he doesn't have, he's got a list. He's going to get it eventually. <laughs> okay, okay. So should we go buy the turkey for Thanksgiving or they're having a sale at the comic store? It's a choice. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I, In my defense, this is funny. I have many things. I stopped buying comics like 12 years ago yeah. because it was time to grow up and pay off the house be careful about where we were spending our money. The hundreds of dollars I was spending on comics really should be going towards getting rid of a mortgage and all that kind of stuff. And we've done it. We really are totally debt-free. We've got good savings. We're going to be okay. And so some part of me is, what do I want now? I want to start buying comics again, even if it's hundreds of dollars a month. I just, I love that. New, the creativity and the joy and the continuation of my mythologies every single month and just seeing the wonderful artwork and the creative writers and stuff like that. And now that I don't need to worry about it, now that I've won the game, I want this to be part of my victory lap is, and now you get more comics, Sal. So I broached the subject with Colleen and I don't know that she's fully on board. <laughs> and yet I, I'll have to, I'll have to do the spreadsheet that says, honestly, if I spend 300 bucks a month and people are going on comic books, Sal, are you fucking mad? But that's like $4,000 a year. I, there's, I don't know that there's, hardly anything that i would get as much satisfaction like one trip to europe one cruise one right. new computer four thousand bucks a year is not a lot of money if you have more than that you know what i mean exactly. we're planning on what the expenses are and stuff like that and it really might be handleable and i would be willing to give up all kinds of other things it's not that and then we go broke it's more like we have it and instead of going out to more meals i would rather spend 300 bucks on comic books then more fancy that's three steak dinners i right. don't care about steak dinners i care about cool comics so, and you know to, be, to be fair <laughs> with the collection stuff you already have if you were starting to sell that you could cover your other new comics for multiple years many yeah. years <laughs> you're exactly right some part of it has been it's not just what we have coming in from our savings and pensions and social security our three-legged stool it's more if I spell, I, I even said like a number, I think that my Amazing Fantasy is probably worth like $35,000. That's like nine years of $4,000 right. a year for comics. And I'm, I, I, if, I, if I make it to 140, all I got to do is cover 80 years of comics. That's <laughs> for all I know, they're going to stop being paper and they'll be digital soon. And then I'll have a subscription in that way, like everybody has for music and for movies and stuff like right. that now. So the world will change in that direction anyway. But I'm actively looking at that because I just miss it. You know what I mean? That little Thursday used to be new comic book day and you go through your stack. I used to have a big stack and be like, man, these are the half dozen that I just can't wait to read. And right. it was just such a joy to fall into your comics for that first hour. It's like, oh my God, the latest X-Men was so good. And so was the, the Planetary. And so was Miracle Man. And my and, favorite series, like it just, 
man, they're so good. The, good, <laughs> the really good news is you don't have to like totally have a chunk of 12 years missing. You, you've been keeping up through the library, through omnibus and trade paperbacks. And, You're exactly right. So. And there are some things that like, I don't want it to be that now that I'm buying new, that I somehow feel obligated to fill in all that I missed. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I don't want to. I don't have the space for it. I don't want to be like on the hunt like that. I just want to say, okay, I took a while off and I have kept up, but let's just really start doing the serial thing. I used to love in between issues each month, like where your mind goes. It says, okay, what do I think is going to happen? Oh, I was able to predict that one. Or, oh, they fooled me there. And it's cool to see the mythologies grow and then to see here's the movie that got made and how does it differ from the series that I read, whatever else it might be. Yep. I, I right. got a feeling that I'll have something to talk about soon. <laughs> nice. Cool. Keep us updated. We'll okay. All, All right. right. Now that's enough. Thanks very much. Susan. Take care. Okay. <laughs> this has been the Relentless Geekery podcast. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and go give us a review. Give us some likes. It would help a lot. Check out our website, RelentlessGeekery.com, where we have links to our Facebook page, Join the Conversation, and go check out our YouTube page, where we have the video of this and other episodes. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.